Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sanderlanch podcast. Today, we are talking about Mistborn, The Well of Ascension, chapters 12 and 13. I am Joe, and with me, as always, is... Ada, Jack, and Jamie. Yes, we're all here, and we're ready to talk about these two chapters, wherein Sazed and Marsh find some pretty messed up stuff in the uh, conventicle. Did I say that right? Conventicle? And then we go back to uh, to Luthadel, where some trouble's brewing, and Eland and the rest of the thieving original thieving crew are arguing about the best way to handle the situation. So hold on to something. The Sanderlanch is about to begin. Elders tell us, keepers of the bottom, treasures of the dirt. Russian string, we scribble and sing and dig for the animals of the earth. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. Yeah, these were a couple of kind of meaty chapters with lots of information coming at us. So what did you guys think of uh, 12 and 13, the beginning of part two, Ghosts in the Mist, not gorillas. They're not yet anyway. They haven't shown up. <laughs> these chapters were cool. I really liked the first chapter, especially. It, it kind of, you, you know, you get this almost suspenseful, creepy vibe from them going into the conventicle like you don't know what's going to happen we also got to see some um new ferrochemy powers that we haven't really witnessed before so i really enjoyed that the 12th chapter the 13th chapter it, it's cool that they're kind of making a plan and ellen is obviously trying to be a little bit more on the ball and and play his role as king and and it was kind of the first chapter where i'm, I'm actually rooting for him a little bit because i feel like in the first book and even in the first part of the second book i haven't I haven't like been behind Ellen maybe as much as like the reader should be. So um, I, I would say this chapter kind of got me in his corner finally. Yeah, calling him only half a man was uh, not exactly in <laughs> yeah. his corner. So, okay. Exactly. Even though he makes everybody wait like three hours while he's digging out books. Yeah, well, yeah. they said, oh, it's just like Kelsier. Yeah. Also, classic Ellen. <laughs> Getting distracted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> too, many, totally too many thick books around. <laughs> they're they're all of it in his face and he's just like i don't know i'm so distracted and confused and then he gets back and he's like it has it really been two hours it's already nighttime wow sorry random sidebar but i don't know if anyone saw on the uh the instagram post that i put up this week with the the books somebody commented like man joe will love this picture with these thick books <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did. Uh, I did like the picture on Instagram. So if you liked it, it's uh, you'll see me. I gave it a heart. <laughs> yeah, these these chapters were good. I really liked seeing Martian says going through the conventicle, all the horrors therein. And then it was interesting when says makes his big discovery in in the base. But we'll get to that. And yeah, it was fun seeing. You know, we got we get a bit more with Orasur as well. Uh, we learn a bit more about. Uh, how the candras work which i found fascinating i was like oh yes this is what i've wanted for a long time pretty much since we knew that there were contracts and everything involved uh so i was i really enjoyed that and then yeah the meeting was cool good to see the crew back together and i'm, I'm just flicking through the pages trying to find it but unless i miss my guess at one point ellen's thick books go to war with breezes wines so i'm just like oh shit this because <laughs> he, he, he his books knock over breezes wine i'm like oh that's that that's dangerous there 
Or poor Breeze. He just wants his wine and to sit and poke holes in other people's plans. That's what he does. Well, I'm in agreement with everyone. I, I like these chapters. There was a lot of you know, meaty information coming to light. Uh, the first chapter that we read, the suspense going through that area. I was like, I'm so sure that this is going to be a trap. And I'm still not entirely certain it's not a trap oh. at some point. I don't know. There's, I, It's just that suspenseful feeling that's like, oh, my God, you're going to get caught. Someone's going to be there. Like uh, maybe Marsh isn't setting the trap, but maybe someone has set the trap. I don't know. It just it doesn't feel right in there. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the interaction between Orosaur and Vin as well and this mist monster. Again, very suspenseful, very up my alley of, of reading. <laughs> and yeah, in that, that meeting, I was like, it's really great to see them banter across each other and then in the back of my head going, oh my God, but one of you might not be who you say you are. Ah. So yeah, I was mm, yeah, loving I these chapters. I'd almost forgotten there's that whole tension behind that entire scene where it's like, we don't know who might not be who they say they are. Yep. So much, so much uh, mystery. But I'm also really pleased that there was a few things we were talking about last week that, that have been answered. So yeah, no, good, good read. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of these two chapters, if only because like we finally get two kind of lengthy, very informative chapters after we've had several kind of shorter, uh, quick chapters. There's been a couple longer ones, or at least one in the stuff that we've already covered, but not like these two in a row. Yeah, this is the first one where we've done two chapters, um, yeah. and only two chapters for this book, isn't it? Yep, and it's going to be the only yeah. one for a while where we do only two chapters, just oh, uh, wow. <laughs> FYI. Yeah. I think... It- one of the things I really liked about these two is that they were chock full of information, but it wasn't like you were just being delivered information for the sake of you having information. Mm-hmm. It was timed really well in the delivery of the story. And like, I didn't feel like I was being force fed this thing I might need later. It was, it was delivered perfectly. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, in the whole first chapter where, where you guys were right on, we've got this creepy feeling the whole time. It's almost like all the stuff you're learning, you're like, I know this is important, but I'm more concerned with the creepiness and what might be about to jump out somewhere. Okay. So let's get into these. We got the first epigraph is apparently Elendi was working for Quan for years before he became convinced this guy was the hero of ages, also called Rabzine and the Anamnes, Anamneser. Or savior. See, why can't you just say savior? That's much easier to say than anamnesser. Yeah, I like it. I like anamnesser. Okay. So the uh, we start with Sazed and Marsh, and they're arriving. A fortress sat in the misty murk of the evening in the bottom of a large. I, I like to think of it. He says it's a crater-like valley. I like to think of it as just like a big crater, like an asteroid impacted here, and they <laughs> built a fortress at the bottom. Yeah. Yes. This, this area is called Tunguska. <laughs> And it's, I guess the crater is so deep that there's a, uh, he talks about the defensibility of it, and he's like, it's kind of weird that they would give the high ground to anybody who came along, but nothing in the Final Empire, even Luthadel with its walls, they never felt was, like, made for an actual war, because who was going to attack the Lord Ruler? It's so deep, though, that there is an elevator that goes down, and they're kind of scouting it out from the edge of the, uh, from the edge of the cliff here. And he's like, I can't see anything moving around or any lights, but that doesn't mean there's no Inquisitors. And Marsh is like, nah, they're gone. I'm 100% sure. He he doesn't know why he is so sure or how he's so sure, but he is sure. Which, not suspicious at all, right? Yeah, something's really Mega going suspicious. on with that guy. But when Sazed asked, where did they go then? Marsh says, north. 
And what says is like, uh-oh, towards Luthadel? He's like, well, there are other things in the north also, but Luthadel is something that way. So where do we think that the Inquisitors have gone? Same I don't know. For predicaments. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, my first thought when he said north was not Luthadel. It was actually Terrace, so I don't know. Maybe that's where they're headed. We, we have repeatedly heard that Terrace is in the far north, and that that might make sense. Uh, or maybe they're headed to the well, you know? There's got to be something significant about the well. I mean, their mm-hmm. whole conventicle is built uh, is is built on top of, you know, this this Quan's metal journal. Yeah, that's got to have some sort of significance if if that's so important to them too. That you know, Alindi yeah. wasn't the chosen one, and the Lord Ruler stepped in and fixed it. You know, for them, there's something pretty significant going on. So yeah, I would think the Well of Ascension or, or Terrace is where they're going. Plus, you know, the book's called The Well of Ascension, so I feel like maybe we should go there at some point. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe they just talk about it, you know? Yeah, they just talk ad nauseum about it. It's like the it's like those really crappy action movies where they just keep saying the title of the movie over and over. It's like, <laughs> we've got to go to the well, the well of ascension, the well of ascension. That it, that like it turns this... out the well isn't a place. It's just a it's just a concept that people talk about. There's no actual well of ascension. The well was inside you all yeah. along. The well is in all we of get, our hearts. Are, are we getting high again? The well is inside of me. Yeah. Or you know, it's like it's this park and it's full of dinosaurs from the Jurassic <laughs> period. It's some kind of park of Jurassic dinosaurs uh, most of the dinosaurs were not from the jurassic period just you're so. right they were from like the triassic period cretaceous park doesn't sound as cool no it definitely doesn't thanks it's michael crichton <laughs> so they find the uh the elevator that's supposed to go down but it has been broken yeah and this is where i like i started to really feel like the creep vibes it's like they they you know says uses super sight to see like it doesn't i don't see anybody and then they get up there, and then, like, the elevator's broken the wrong way to where it's, like, somebody would have had to purposefully break it. So it's just – it's it's weird. Actually, I guess reading this, Marsh breaks it. Yeah, which like, I, it, I, it was I didn't remember. actually intact until they until they came along. It was like, uh, we don't oh. have anyone below to pull it. Shove. Well, the way yeah. they described it, I thought, like, in order for somebody to leave the elevator that way, they would have had to have, like, broken it. But I guess – I don't know. Uh, okay. He says the cage is meant to be lowered by men holding it from below. I assume it has to be raised by men holding it from below too. Exactly. Right? That That's why I was said. confused because it was at the top. So I oh, mean, that, I that guess just, that just made I mean, me think that there was still someone down there. Yeah. Mm, or maybe like it up and left it there. Or maybe an inquisitor just like if there's nobody, if there truly is nobody left there, maybe an inquisitor pulled it up so that nobody else could come down, and then they just use their misborn powers to get out. Yeah, well, I mean, and you, it might even be that if you, you know, turn on your pewter, you can just pull the cage up by the rope from the top. Uh, and so after they all got up there, they, like, pulled it up. I don't know. But Marsh throws a lever, and the cage falls, and so fast that the ropes are smoking, and then it smashes into the chasm floor. And Stace is like, ah, oh, great. If there's anyone down there, they're going to know we're here now. He doesn't say that, though. That would be confrontative. So he just thinks it. Yeah, well, Marsh ain't scared, so... And Marsh is like, follow however you wish, and begins to climb down the rope. He does not care about how Sazed is going to get down. He's like, he'll figure it out. 
the thing that did strike me through this whole chapter is for someone who insisted Sazed comes with him, Marsh really just doesn't give a crap that he's there. Like, later on in the chapter, he's like, yeah, look, you can't come with me for this bit. Yeah. When we first, when he first shows up, the way he describes it is he wants Sazed to come because Sazed has powers that might help if the other Inquisitors show up and they need to fight. And so I guess unless there's a fight happening, he doesn't really care about Sazed being there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and we'll get to it, but I just like, what is, like, what was Marsh's purpose there? Like, what did he want? He said they might have left something that he yep. could use. So it's creepy vibes, creepy vibes. And uh, Sazed. He hides his copper mines before he goes down. As soon as he did that, I started freaking out. I was like, they're going to get stolen. They're going to get stolen. Well, and honestly, I'm not 100% sure why he even does it, because no one else can access them, his copper mines, but him. We know that other ferrochemists can't access your metals that you filled with stuff. Oh, it's because so. uh, he, he didn't want the Inquisitors to destroy them in case there were any still down there. Yeah, but then if he gets like killed, it still doesn't matter because no one else can use them. But I guess if he just gets captured... Then and gets away later. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Yeah, uh, like I'm starting to get the sense that the chapters we've had so far, Say's identity is really tied into what he knows and what knowledge he can impart. And so I feel like if like when he's separated from his knowledge, he he's really just an insecure guy who doesn't know what he's doing in the world. I think he's really just tied himself to yeah his his copper mines and like this and the knowledge that he's accumulated over the years that is just who he is and if he ever gets separated from that he's not going to know what to do with himself like he's going to be that'll probably break him that's a really good point he has made that kind of the center of his entire world is these copper mines and all the stuff that's stored in them yeah cuz his previous chapters were about trying to impart some of that knowledge and being absolutely devastated but you know keeping a lid on it when people just didn't care about what he had to say and I guess as long as there's another keeper around who still has their copper mines, he could get all or most of the information back because he describes in this chapter how basically he had to sit there and listen to another keeper recite everything that was in their copper mines so that he could have that same storage. He's the backup drive. Yeah, kind of like they're each a backup for each other, which is kind of a cool th- uh, way of doing it. It, it. it does sound almost computer like, though, when you kind of say yeah. it like that. Always back your files up, kids. <laughs> so but the way that he elects to get down is he starts storing weight in what is it a steel metal mind no iron mind iron yeah and so he starts filling that up with uh weight so that he weighs almost nothing and just kind of jumps off and he falls very slowly and the wind holds him up some because he weighs pretty much nothing so this is a really cool scene, I thought. This is, like I think Joe was mentioning, we get to see some powers of uh, ferrochemy that maybe we'd heard about but hadn't actually seen in action. And actually, there's a bit in the annotations here that I was actually going to bring up in relation to this, if I can find where I put that. He says, here you finally get to see some real ferrochemical tricks. Says can do so much more than just make himself strong like he did in book one or memorize things. If you think about it, there's an awful lot of things that could be done to intertwine allomancy with pushes and pulls and ferrochemy where a person can increase or decrease their weight. And yeah, imagining the different things you could do with that is kind of cool. We don't know um, how many metals you can use for ferrochemy, do we? No, we do not. That's a good point. Yeah. We didn't really address that. It seems like it everyone that we've used for Allomancy seems to maybe have an equivalent ferrochemy, but we don't know that for sure. Yeah. That's just... Because, I mean, oh, even though the numbers were wrong last book, we spent so long talking about, you know, 9, 10, 11 medals. 
and then obviously there was more. I'm like, but that was for, specifically for Allomancy. We don't actually know, like, and we know that Ferrochemi, even the even the metals that are shared across both processes, don't involve the same attributes. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you, you can see the similarity between iron in Allomancy and Ferrochemi, but it's still very different effects. So who knows what the other metals even do, and however many more of them are, like there might be more. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about how many more metals that um and what they might be for ferrochemy. I'm trying to think of if the version of the book I've got I got you guys would have it, but in my version of uh, this book, when you get to the end, there's a description of all the metals we know and what they do in alamancy and what they do in ferrochemy. Okay. Uh, so uh, you shouldn't look at that now because it might spoiler stuff that comes up later. But when we get to the yeah, end no, of the book, like, if that's in there, then that's it. there's some interesting fun facts. Um, I think there is like there definitely was in the back of the first book. I think there is one in the back of this this book, but I haven't flipped to it yet in case I flip to the wrong page and see something I shouldn't. Oh yeah, no, don't do that. No. Uh, okay, so he he he, ta- he thinks I guess here uh, more about ferrochemy and the different things it does. Regardless of the scientific reasons, says didn't fall as quickly. Yeah, that's that's what it boils down to. If you don't care about the whole uh, why it does, why it works the way that it works, because this shit he, just happens, man. It gives the explanation that it doesn't change uh, your size or anything. It changes the way the ground pulls against you, which I guess they don't have a word for. We know what that word would be, but yeah, but that actually opens some interesting doors when you think about it, because if what the metal is doing is affecting how gravity influences things that could have some possibilities beyond just like making yourself lighter. If you can manipulate it correctly. So yes, regardless of the scientific, as Dax said, the reasons uh, says did not fall as quickly and he gets to the bottom without much. He says there was so little shock that he barely even needed to bend his knees to absorb the impact. So useful is uh, what we learn. If you need to jump off a cliff, I like how Marsh is just watching him go, and it's like, even with spikes through his face, Marsh is just like, what? <laughs> and there's a moment of paranoia about the mists, which is echoed a little bit later in Vin's chapter, but says it's like, uh, these mists have been around all my life, but now I'm kind of uncomfortable. Like, are they going to kill me like they did old Jid? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. I accidentally read it as old Jedi and thought, oh, God, <laughs> we were talking about the high ground before as well. <laughs> the mist killed all the Jedi. It was very sad. Yeah, they executed Order 66 on him. Seist <laughs> uh, has a moment where he's like, I'm not really jealous of Alamancy. I mean, it's, it's cool stuff, but not as cool as the stuff I can do. Ferrochemi... The metal mines of Ferrochemy weren't as flamboyant, but they had a far more lasting value to society. Burn, Alamancers. <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks that, uh, he says fear has ne- had never been a strong motivator in his life. He wasn't really afraid, but he was worried that there were so few keepers left. If he dies, then that'll be one less person available to teach the people. Not that he's doing that at the moment. Not for lack of trying, mind you. Yeah, he was totally doing that until Marsh showed up. And the... The place is completely dark, and when they start walking in, he's like, Marsh, uh, I can't see in there. I'm going to need a lantern. Like, my tin can help me see better, but you have to have some light to start with. And I think this is the point uh, when he says in the annotations, by the way, you probably remember from book one the way that the Inquisitors see. 
They have such a subtle touch with steel and iron and their lines that they can see via trace metals in the body, everyone's bodies and objects around them. But the interesting fun fact that he adds to that is the thing is any Alamancer with access to iron or steel could learn to do this. Some have figured it out in the past, but in current times, nobody, at least nobody that the heroes know, is aware of this. Except, of course, for Marsh, and he chose not to share. Mm. Marsh isn't exactly a sharing kind of guy. Especially not anymore. Uh, mm. In this book, he is even less sherry, so far at least. Great, now I have oh sherry stuck in my head, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he starts... Says once he gets his lantern, starts looking around and recording in a tiny copper mind all the information about this place. Like the Inquisitors obviously had a fondness for steel. That's not surprising, considering their religion was the steel ministry. Still, so I feel like the walls being like hung with giant steel plates is kind of a little over the top. I um I almost wondered if it was because we know that they are reliant on I guess the lines and metal be able to see i almost wondered if all the steel wall stuff was so that they could like see much better than in mm. other places let's say they got um yeah. patterns and stuff put into them so that would you know like that's, that's just their arrows pointing you know toilet this way or something <laughs> could be yeah it could be like com- total like street signs for them that says just can't recognize it's an interesting point uh marsh says what are you doing and says is like well i gotta like record this there's much to be learned from this place i think and marsh is kind of offended that he's like he'd be recording like the inquisitors and their religion and stuff he's like no this stuff should be forgotten and stace is like no 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 all religions like the knowledge of them is valuable i don't know that i agree with that in relation to the steel ministry honestly but whatever you do you i mean not not i guess it's not something that you want to necessarily bring back but I mean, for Sazed, he'd love to understand it and that if someone, you know, in 100 years' time was like, oh, well, you know, what happened with this? At least they could tell them about it, not to resurrect it or anything, but it's it's more knowledge. Yeah. I could definitely see why Sazed wants to record it. Yeah, from his perspective, 100%. Like, knowledge is what he's all about, so I get it. And I guess this is actually the first time that we're also learning, like, how he records things in the copper mind. And that's also pretty interesting, I feel like, where he says them out loud and then sticks them in there. And then he kind of has forgotten, like he put the knowledge in the copper so he doesn't have it anymore. He's like, I'm not even sure what I just said. Which that's just insane to think that, you know, when he's removed certain copper mines, he does not remember those experiences. Like not even his own experiences. It is literally his purpose is to record and store Mm -hmm. and pull these back out when someone needs them. Yeah, I don't think I'd like that. Like, I don't, I don't want to not no. have access to my memories, although it would be cool to have, like, Wikipedia with you at all times, basically, to access if you needed to. But you're not remembering something. Like, this is his experience. He's walking through this area. And, I mean, in this case, dark and horrible and, you know, well, maybe you don't want to remember <laughs> it. But yeah. you're work, walking through this and going, wow, this is fascinating. Like, he's also uncovering this big part of, of um, history, which, you know, we'll get to soon, but... He won't remember that unless he's wearing that copper mind. It's like it's it's now not his memory. It's it belongs to the keepers. He's the only one who can pull it out. But he will wear this, recite it to someone else, and they will share the same experience that he shared because he's communicated it that way. Because he won't remember the original experience. 
Yeah, it's it's a little unnerving to realize like how much stuff you've forgotten because you stored it somewhere, basically. Mm. But he's cool with it. It's what he does. And then uh, we get the line, Marsh had found the servants. It's horrifying. Yeah. So it's just a bunch of, a lot of, whole, whole lot of dead people piled up, uh, their bodies piled up near the back of this room. He says the servants had huddled up against the back wall as they died. It's just, yeah. So the Inquisitors, I guess, aren't planning on coming back if they killed all their servants. Or maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the point of killing all the servants was in the first place. So I guess it's hard to make a guess after, uh, based on that. I would presume, like, these <clears throat> servants are probably just prisoners they've kept there to tend to their needs. And they've decided they don't need the, the place anymore. So they don't need the people who tend to it. They don't want them getting out and spreading their secrets across the world. The Inquisitors are a very secretive bunch, so they've probably just gone, right, you guys have no further purpose, let's just kill you all. Warm an orderly line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the argument that makes the most sense, is that they've decided they don't need this place anymore, and you're obviously not going to let anybody walk out of here with Inquisitor secrets, so... Yeah. Marsh remained in the doorway and says, there's a bad air about this place. You don't say, man. <laughs> gave it away. You have only just noticed that? <laughs> <laughs> we should not spend much time here. And this is where he tells him not to follow him. He's like, I'm going to go up to the Inquisitor's quarters. You do whatever you want, but don't follow me. And he doesn't explain it real well. He's like, I don't care if you witness Inquisitor atrocities. I just do not wish to be with you when you do. Which, okay, so what's going to be worse than the pile of dead people they just found? Hmm. This is a fair question. And maybe he's just like, oh, I wish I hadn't had to experience that with Sazed. And that's that may be what prompted this in the first place, but... Uh, possibly, yeah. Yeah, if there's something worse than a giant pile of bodies uh, that were clearly slaughtered as they, like, cringed away and tried to hide in the corner, then uh, Sazed probably doesn't want to experience it either. <laughs> so Marsh goes upstairs, and Sazed was alone. Good sentence. And this is where we all started screaming, trap, trap, trap. <laughs> when Get he walks away. Yeah. Yep. You're like, yeah, you gave creepy. me a half-assed excuse for why you can't, I can't go with you uh, while you're leaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be dark and dangerous. At least he's got a lantern. Yeah, but like, you think about it, he's putting his thoughts into his copper mind. Like, and those are his memories of this place as well. What happens if he, if he forgets the way out? It didn't seem like particularly twisty and turny from what we've read so far, so it probably wouldn't be super difficult. But yeah, it's a possibility, especially if he goes off the beaten track, which he starts to do right here. Yeah. He, he finds a dark stairwell, which he decides to descend, because obviously you got to be careful. Don't want to get eaten by a Gru. By the bad guy from Despicable Me? No, no, that's not. Although that the, you're right, that is the same name. No, there's a there's an Ve old game. Vector? Zork. Oh, well, yeah, I remember that. A common catchphrase associated with the game Zork is, it's pitch black, you are likely to be eaten by a Gru. Oh. So it, I, I think I get that reference from Ready Player One, because I've never actually played the game. But still, anyway, yeah. weird tangent. <laughs> As I walk, I wonder what secrets the Inquisitors deemed worthy of hiding below the earth in the basement of their stronghold. It's very, uh, very poetic of you, Sazed, as you stick all the stuff into your copper mind. But he just he keeps finding, like, big chambers with not much furniture. No libraries, no lounges. Several contain large metal blocks that could be altars. In the last room, at the back, 
he finds what he thinks is maybe a torture chamber. Metal tables set in the floor, covered in blood, but no corpses. Blood flakes and powders at my feet. A lot of men have died in this room, I think. There don't appear to be any torture implements beyond spikes. Massive, heavy spikes like in an Inquisitor's eyes. Some tipped with blood. I don't think I'll handle those. Well, yeah, there you go. Probably smart. <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. Mm-hmm. You up to, with, uh, up to date with your tetanus shot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. he says that they're just like the ones in Marsh's eyes, but are some are of different metals. So maybe, you know, all of them might not be rusty. I don't know if, uh, you know, pewter tarnishes, but might not rust, right? So I don't, you know. I actually don't know what metals are can rust. I'm making things up. But. <laughs> And he thinks that maybe this is a place to make new Inquisitors and is suddenly very worried that after they spent months sequestered here, they might have made some more, might have made a lot more, which, yeah, that should be a concern. That's not what you want. Nope. But then on the other hand, he's like, well, but these guys are always like very secret and exclusive. Could they really have found that many people they felt worthy of joining their groups? Well, I mean, they were secretive and exclusive when the Lord Ruler was in charge. Now that he's not anymore, all bets might be off. Yeah. I guess it it really depends on what their goal is. I mean, somebody was theorizing that they might have a goal to create a new Lord Ruler in Sazed, which doesn't seem to have panned out for this chapter, but we don't know what their goal is. So, if whatever their goal was could be accomplished by making more Inquisitors, maybe they would do that. And, uh, he talks about how he's suspected that you have to be an Alamancer to be changed into an Inquisitor. Marsh was a seeker. <laughs> he looks at all the blood and the spikes and the tables and decides that he's not certain that he wants to know how you make an Inquisitor. <laughs> That's where he draws the line at knowledge. I don't blame him necessarily, although I feel like it would oh, be no, useful information not even <laughs> And that's when he finds an even like further back kind of not really secret necessarily room, but like a different kind of room from these other rooms at the bottom of the stairwell, there's a chamber and there's a giant steel plate five feet across, almost five feet tall with writing in Terrace on it. And when he starts to translate it, it probably became obvious to everyone pretty fast that this is what we have been reading. It did not take us long to come across it this time around. I write these words in steel, so on and so forth. And basically, I think we get like the first few epigraphs and maybe a little bit of extra information in here. No, I don't know if there's anything extra. This may just actually be the first few epigraphs. So I don't know. Probably no one was particularly surprised. I think we had a theory that he was going to find this thing here. Was anybody surprised that it was actually in a giant sheet of metal? Because we talked about that. But no, I mean, no. pretty much when Dak and I said, like, a Skyrim dragon wall, I was like, that's what it's going to be. It's going to oh, be exactly yeah. like that. I'd forgotten yep. that you guys talked about that <laughs> before. Of course, I never played Skyrim, so. Boo! Play Skyrim, Aww. you're the worst. Boo! <laughs> and then Mark shows up and scares the crap out of him. <laughs> and decides that this trip was a waste. They took everything of value with them when they left. And says, he's like, no, 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 this is useful for me. Probably not for Marsh. Marsh probably doesn't care, but he does. He can't take a visual memory of it. He says because uh, it's hard to like get a picture of that much text and actually keep it all in there in your brain or in the metal mind after it goes through your brain, I guess. But uh, and Marsh does not want to wait around long enough for him to translate or read off the whole thing to store. So says fortunately brought uh, some paper with him. And he's going to, and some uh, 
I guess, charcoal pencils or something. He's going to take a rubbing so that he has the exact text. Good planning. Good planning. Yeah. So maybe the trip was worthwhile for Sazed, after all. Uh, he found what, you know, something written by an ancient terrace philosopher's holy man, which they've been searching desperately for their religion for uh, ten centuries or whatever. So he might have just found something very useful. One wonders why the Inquisitors have it, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll find out when we get the whole thing translated. Maybe the, the, the like, second half is, here's how you make an Inquisitor. <laughs> get ten humans, slice them up into tiny bits, <laughs> on spikes, mix well. Serve warm. Uh, <laughs> Add 500 grams of butter. And well, Yeah, you always need plenty of butter. He now has a very good excuse for why he needs to go back to Luthadel so that he can get this super important information back to the terrorist people. And he's so happy about it that he feels guilty about the fact that he's so happy about it. Such a conflicted guy. It's like, he's always said that this is the stuff that he wants to do. He wants to be out there teaching the people once the Lord Ruler falls. And now that he's out there doing it, he kind of wants to be somewhere else doing something else. And he doesn't feel great about it. He wants to be teaching people something important. And, and, you know, significant, even though, like, what he is teaching people is important because they need to know how to live. He wants to he wants to teach people this sort of stuff. And now he's got a unique opportunity to teach this and translate this and, and you know, himself be significant. So yeah, you have to it's wonder. more exciting that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 a, he's a terrorist who needs excitement, I guess. Apparently, we found out <laughs> in previous chapters that the other terrorist were like, you know, don't get involved in stuff. Don't, you know, they, they didn't like the fact that he was helping in the revolution against Lord Ruler or whatever, even though it eventually succeeded. He's still kind of looked down on as the wild man of the group who puts himself in too much danger. And now he may have found the thing that they've been looking for for a thousand years. And so you have to wonder if they're still going to be like, but you were supposed to be out there teaching people irrigation and stuff. Why can't you just do what we tell you to do? Jeez. <laughs> or maybe they'll finally be grateful. And make him the new leader of the terrorist people. Because he's awesome. Pro probably the not. Do the terrorists have a leader that we know of? That's a fair point. They, I imagine after the Lord Ruler died that they would have done something to govern themselves. But we don't actually know. Yeah. What did what did say say in a previous chapter that like he, the other terrorist members didn't agree with them? I think maybe he mentioned some kind of council. I don't know. Yeah. He mentions. and Let me jump back to it that uh, the Synod or Synod had decided that he should be out there teaching the things to the farming and that kind of thing yeah. to the ska. Farming, sanitation, so government, that, So they medicine. got some kind of, yeah, so they got some kind of council authority system. Mm. Mm. And that's the end of the creepy chapter. Makes Didn't you end wonder. as badly as we all expected. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it makes you wonder if uh, we're going to come back and then things are going to go badly here after all that buildup that didn't pay off with anything terrible happening. Or if we'll just come back and he'll like show up at the gate in Luthadel and be like, hey, guys, what's up? I, I brought paper. <laughs> I brought paper and beer. <laughs> uh, yes, does this, does, do any of these copper mines contain brewing? <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> I would bet nice. money that there's information on brewing in there. And our next epigraph is uh, Quan realizes and connects these signs of the anticipation to Elendi and is so excited and announces his discovery to the other world bringers as uh, that, that may be a new word for us, I think, and was met with scorn. 
oh, how I wish I had listened to them. I really want to know what Alendi did to make Quan turn on him so much. Mm, yep, maybe uh, we will find out from this uh, this document, since it seems to be very much focused on his history with Alendi. Yeah, but it turns out Quan is just as good at waffling as Alendi was in his journal. <laughs> <laughs> Just as good at saving important secrets for dramatic moments, you mean. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we start out with Vin and Orsur, and they're just hanging out. And Vin is like, does it seem like the mists are coming earlier? And Orsur is like, what are you talking about? And she tries to explain. And he's like, they're mists. What, what do you care? Like, they, they do what they do. And she's just like, doesn't it even seem a little bit strange to you? And he's like, well, I, I'll think that it's strange if you wish me to, mistress. Ugh, this is why he's frustrating. <laughs> he's like tell me whatever you want me to be i'll be it it's if you say it's weird you want me to say it's weird it's weird okay i don't care <laughs> sorry i'm looking up something because it reminds me of a line from a movie that i'm trying to remember i just sort of think of uh that episode of king of the hill with the buddhists and like hank is um like <laughs> hank is threatening one of them because um because of what he's told bobby he's like i ought to kick your ass and the monk is just like if my ass is to be kicked then it is to be kicked for <laughs> <laughs> some reason that made me think like that, that's what orisol would say in that situation it's like all right well commence oh it's that line it's in the name of the wind that's what i'm thinking of when Kvoth uh, is telling the story, and he's like, I'm waiting a second to see if you guys are going to be like, no, there's no such thing as dragons. Oh. And uh, and Bast is like, I didn't make any promises. I can say it if you want me to. And he gets very grumpy about <laughs> it. He's like, have you guys ever heard the term white mutiny? <laughs> and then Chronicler like gets his little grain. He's like, yep, I sure have. <laughs> you uh, dang smart asses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. I just... When I, when, I, when I get that thought, I have to go ahead and figure out what the heck I'm thinking about. So uh, he is, Orsor is uh, overly, uh, I don't want to say helpful because it's not really helpful. Uh, <laughs> it's like, what's the opposite of that? Yeah. Obstructive, he, yeah. Well, he's not, he's like just so obedient that it's infuriating. So, and Vin's like, man, I wish Sazed were back. Sazed is a much better like person to hang out with than this guy. Sage was great. He didn't argue. He wasn't hostile. He didn't eat people. <laughs> as far as she knows, yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have fleas. Probably. Probably not. Although he has been in, like, that out-of-the-way village for a long time, so they, you know. Yeah, true. But he probably knows how to get rid of them, too. He has those those copper mines, so. <laughs> and so she's like, we need to focus on finding the imposter. So that means I need to know more about you, He's like, me? And she's like, well, no, Chandra. <laughs> we need to understand his motivations. And Orsor's like, well, his motivation is that he's going to follow his contract, which is not helpful. <laughs> but we do find out that Chandra always have a contract. Without one, they are not allowed to enter human society. And she's like, well, what if it's like a rogue Chandra? And Orsor's like, no, such a thing does not exist. He's very certain. Uh, mm. That's always suspicious to me when someone is that certain about something. But... Uh, well, it's like with the last book. It's like, no, no, you can't pierce copper clouds or um, yep. push metals inside someone's body. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and Vin brings up the thing that we talked about last time, where she's like, well, he couldn't have killed a human himself because Condra can't kill humans, right? And Orsoror confirms for the first time for us that, yes, they are all bound by that same rule, that they cannot kill a human. 
That actually threw me for a bit because the way he made it sound earlier was like that was part of his specific contract, and now it's like, no, 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 that's that's everyone's. Like, oh, really? Oh, it's always contract with a capital C, so it may be a standard form or something that they're filling out. <laughs> so someone had to sneak into the palace and murder someone, and then the conjurer would have taken their body. And so she, like us last time, she's like, we can eliminate Bree- Breeze. He was outside the city when it happened. And we can eliminate Ellen because he was on the wall when it happened with Vin. And so she's trying to pry for more information to figure out what what can we use to figure out who this is. They replicate blood, flesh, skin, and muscle, so they will bleed. <laughs> like the, You have seen that when I split my skin. I'm like, I don't know, just picture Vin just going, yeah, thank you. I didn't want to picture that. Yeah, I totally jumped over that for that exact reason. I was like, we don't <laughs> want to revisit that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And uh, she, she asks if most Chandra are as good at imitation as Orsor, and he's like, I'm, I'm about average. Some are better, some are worse. But we're all very good, apparently. She asks if there's some way to use Allomancy to spot a Chandra, and he doesn't want to talk about it. And he's, she's like, tell me anyway. And he's like, are you giving me a command? And she says she doesn't want to command him about anything. And he's like, oh, so I can, I can leave then? Dangerous territory there. <laughs> Yeah, we're stepping on some landmines here. <laughs> She's like, that's not what I meant. He's like, it would be easier for me if you would try to say what you mean, mistress. <laughs> it's like, he's he wants to get out. And like, uh, this is what I feared, like, from the start of the book. Like, he's going to get out and cause some serious problems at some point. Mm, yep, you have been uh, worried about that exact thing happening. And he clearly would not be upset about that. Nope. But it seems like one of the things that he's annoyed about is he's like, usually I'm fulfilling a specific role. I'm given somebody's bones and I adopt their personality. But you have given me no direction, just the bones of this animal. And so the Conjurer are all about playing a role and he has not been given a role that he can play. And it is bugging him, I think, which might explain some of his hostility. He says that it's like it's not who a Kandra is, it's who they become. So like their identity is tied directly to who they're impersonating. So he's probably yeah, he's probably just pissed that he has to be himself. Like it's 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 a weird kind of identity formed on self-loathing and becoming something better mm. than yourself, which is an interesting sort of philosophy. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, it's almost yeah, it's almost like like they hate what they are. So their entire purpose of life in life is to like appear to the world at large to be something better than what they are. Yeah. I I always thought about it as they're actors and when they're out of work actors, they're very grumpy about it. <laughs> no, I mean, the two aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> That's true. You can also be an actor who hates yourself. I feel like a lot of them do. Oh, uh-huh. so sad. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but, he eventually admits that Conjure cannot be affected by emotional allomancy or mental allomancy. So you can try to riot or soothe their emotions, but it will have no effect. They won't even notice. Which, she says that's not very useful. I feel like it could be. Because if you were just super overt with it, anyone would notice that their emotions were being manipulated. Like, if you just crush all their emotions down so they're not feeling anything at all, they'll be like, hey, what's going on? Why are you doing that? So I feel like it would be an easy test, but maybe that's me. It depends on who you were using it on, too, though. Mm, that's a good point. Like, we know that Marsh, from the previous book, he was actually pretty good at detecting when somebody was messing with his emotions because he sensed Vin doing it really subtly a couple of times. But mm. other people are probably, like, we wouldn't notice unless you were just super, super obvious. 
But we also got another question answered from last time, which I felt like was a really important question when Jamie asked it, was can the conjurer use allomancy if they eat an allomancer? Yes, I was really excited when this question came up. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you for thinking on the same lines as me. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is no, they cannot use allomancy. And since most of the crew is allomancers, then uh, that is probably helpful. Yeah. So if Vin beats Ham's ass in a fight, then we know, uh-oh. <laughs> And she's she's really kind of looking at subtle ways to go about it, like how she can detect something without anyone noticing. I don't think I would be that subtle if it was me. I would have a bunch of guards and be like, Ham, come in here. Okay, burn some pewter right now. And it'd be like using bronze or whatever. Is it bronze? Brass? Whichever one. I think it's bronze. Bronze. Like, uh, I'm going to use it to detect if you're doing something. Okay, you're good. Because <laughs> you can tell them at that point. Be like, someone has been replaced. We're going to figure out who. I'm testing you right now. So it would be easy to eliminate like Cam and Spook and maybe even clubs that way if uh, she was willing to be overt about it. But I don't know that she will. If it's not them too, though, it could tip off whoever it is. Well, yeah, if you let word get out. But I mean, as, if you keep it small to only the people that you trust to not have been replaced, then mm. of course there's not many of those right now. We have Breeze and Ellen and Vin that we can trust right now. <laughs> so that's not much of a crew to fight down. Of course, a conjurer also can't kill a person, so even if you tip them off, like, the worst they could do is maybe run away. I don't know. True. I mean, the, um, the flip side is one of the people they have they, that they know is safe is Breeze, and they make the point that, you know, you can write or sue their emotions, but it won't have any effect. So it seems like they've got someone they can trust in the, um, who can do something that can provide a bit of an answer, at least. So yeah. they, could set something, they could set something up with Breeze in the background. That would definitely be a smart way to go about it. He's so experienced with that that he he was probably the one who would notice if somebody was being affected or not by what he was doing. Yeah. Orsor points out that if it was easy to check Chandra, then they wouldn't be worth much as imposters, would they? It's a valid point. Yeah. <laughs> and she asked the question. She's like, hey, before everyone was like, oh, we have to keep the Chandra away from the Steel Inquisitors. Why is that? And he will not say that. He's like, no, we're not required to reveal secrets about Conjure Nature, Mistress. It's, And she's like, right, right, in the contract, I really need to read that thing again. So she has read it. Not Honestly, very well, apparently. Yeah, she doesn't remember a lot. Uh, by she doesn't like reading. Yeah, <laughs> you're, not, you're, you're right, that would explain it. I was starting to suspect at this point in the book that the contract was like a metaphor or something. Like there wasn't an actual contract that you read. It was just like I was thinking the a same philosophical thing. thing. And then she's like, oh, right, I need to read that thing again. Yeah, just the thing that's put down in writing, right? <laughs> it's like, Alan, can you go over this contract for me and just give me the details? <laughs> he loves reading, so that would totally work. Yeah. They're a team. See, they they, they got to help each other out. And uh, Orsor's like, hey, shouldn't you be at that meeting the king is having? And she's like, eh, nah, <laughs> maybe later. And she thinks about the Lord Ruler a little bit, just reflecting on all the stuff that happened with the Lord Ruler and how maybe it will have meaning uh, for what's yet to come. And so to distract herself, she's like, hey, Condra, what kind of things do you like? What do you love and what do you hate? And he's like, I don't want to answer. Which <laughs> I think this is now that we've talked about it and like the way Dak uh, kind of framed it. I feel like this is just another symptom of him. Like, I don't want to have to be myself. Maybe even I don't want to have to be myself openly. Like, maybe that's the thing that he's always gotten to keep. Like, his masters don't touch that. Like his his personal nature and the things that he likes and dislikes because he's always playing someone and he has that person's likes and dislikes. 
So maybe this is like his real personality. It's the thing that he's always gotten to keep private and is only for other Chondra or something. And now he's yeah. having to kind of come out with it. But she's like, okay, fine. If you don't want to talk about it, I won't force you. Because she really, she starts to realize that the way that he's resenting her is kind of how she resented the other crew leaders and people who had power over her and were assholes about it. She's like, okay, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy, I guess. Oh God, when did I turn into Kamen? <laughs> right? That's, that's not a realization you want to have. No. It's a good thing for Vin, like she's starting to sort of see and realize her behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, I still think that there's a chance that these two will be okay. Like, it's obviously taken them a long time to get to this point, but she's kind of like, ah, like, he's kind of useful and I don't want to be a dickhead about it, you know. <laughs> I'll I'll respect that there's some things you don't want to answer and I won't force you to do it. So I, I thought that was some good growth for her. So maybe this is indicative of a positive turn in their relationship? Yeah, she's just, she's got to give also what he needs, I think. So we'll see what happens. Mm. Well, and then we get to, uh, she starts to feel something in the mist, and she's like, you know what I hate, Contra? Being afraid. And she jumps out into the night to take on the thing that she's feeling with her bronze. And uh, I like the line, ghosts don't spy on people, do they? Interesting question. <laughs> and she kind of talks about, or thinks about, kind of similar to where we were thinking, where she's like, the only thing in Ska mythology that comes close to these creatures is mist wraiths and that that was kind of where some of our early theorizing about the mist spirit was coming from also because that's the only thing we know of in this world it's all like this creepy weird mist thing but she's like those aren't like this ghost thing not that she knows of anyway and she tries talking to it she's like why have you been watching me and it just kind of sits there and then uh it disappears and something grabs her arm something cold something terrible but something very real and with a groan, she falls backwards out of the window and manages to flare pewter just before she hits the ground so she doesn't break. And then Orser's like, Mistress, what's going on? Shall I go for aid? See, he's being very helpful, Wolfhound. And now suddenly she's feeling a different way about the mists, that they're ominous and obscuring. And she's like, tries to fight it back, saying, no, the mists are my freedom. The night is my home. I haven't needed to be afraid of the night since Kelsier taught me otherwise, and she does not want to lose that. Well, no one wants to go back to feeling powerless after they haven't felt that way for so long. I got a serious um, Jaws vibe from this. It's like looking looking at the mist. It's like sort of looking at the water and knowing there's a shark in there somewhere, but you don't know where. Mm, yeah, I totally see that. Normally, I like to go swimming at the beach. Not anymore. <laughs> And yet the thing, I mean, we know the thing can stab people and it seems probably it grabbed her arm and scared her, but we and gave her this cold feeling. She says something cold and something terrible, but we still don't know for sure that it's super dangerous. I mean, it didn't stab her. Yeah, we don't know it if it tried to or not. That's true. It didn't speak, did it? No, it didn't even move, I don't think, except to disappear. Oh, no, I'm sorry, it did move. It says it stepped forward, and then it disappeared. So, yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's a weird thing. But still very mysterious. And we move on from that to Elland, bringing his third pile of books to stack onto the table. Hey, he doesn't need these books. I mean, he references a couple of them in their discussion, but he's, like, memorized the relevant parts of them anyway, it seems like. So, uh... 
Yeah, he's been gone for two hours, left them sitting, waiting there. And when they call him on it, he's like, well, you know, there were books involved. No, mate, you're still rude. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Of course, when you're the king, you can make people wait for you. Although Breeze is like, if the fate of the central dominance weren't at stake, and if it weren't so fantastically enjoyable to watch Hammond lose an entire month's earnings to the boy, I'd have left an hour ago. Breeze doesn't care if you are the king. He's not waiting around for that. Shocking. Well, and apparently we learned in, in the in the rest of the chapter that they kind of had a discussion already while Ellen was gone. Because he left them alone for two hours, so what the hell else are they going to do? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but Brandon says in the annotations for this section that the Ellen scene is almost a direct parallel of the scene in book one where Kelsier introduces his plan to his people. Ellen has a much harder time of it. In fact, the scene in conjunction with the scene in the assembly is supposed to establish Ellen as what he is, a man with great ideas, but poor leadership techniques. Brilliant and scholarly, but he doesn't know how to get people to do what he wants. This is reflected in his speech patterns and has been since book one. He likes to use the phrase, now see, followed by an observation. He doesn't command, and when he argues, he uses very passive sentences. All of this is hopefully... All of this is, hopefully, makes your subconscious see him in a certain way. That's not written well. Sorry, Brandon. Uh, the only reason he get, gets convinces the crew to go along with them is that, one, he's right, they like to gamble, and this is their type of plan, and two, they know him enough that his ideas have earned a measure of trust from them. What, When necessary, Ellen can give a brilliant speech. He can make people dream and hope. He just isn't good at arguing and is rather poor at being a dictator, which I think that comes across. All of that stuff. Yeah. I would think so. And the crew reminiscence about Kelsier's handwriting and how bad it was. It's, uh, and Ellen is still self-conscious about not being Kelsier. He's like, oh, geez, even this guy's handwriting is legendary. Like, he's very reverent of a guy that he only met once in the middle of a battle. Yeah. Yeah, but people that he people that he knows and cares about cared about Kelsier a great deal. And respected him a great deal. And this guy is the reason that he's king right now. Oh, um, yeah. And, like, all, know, all, so. all the people Ellen hangs out with right now are Kelsey's friends. We haven't seen any of Ellen's mates from the first book show up. So. No. That is interesting. I wonder if they all left the city, like, with their families, or maybe some of them died. Because hmm. you'd think those would be the kind of guys that Ellen would want, like, as part of his new government if they were involved in his early plans and stuff. Yeah. But while he's been gone, the crew has basically gotten together and figured out that they think that they need to side with Set and try to persuade him to leave Ellen as provisional Luther uh, leader in Luthadel, not Luther, in Leadadel. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> Renaming the city, let's go. <laughs> he doesn't like the central dominance. He finds it barren and flat. I mean, it's not really wrong. Yeah, we haven't seen Set's dominance much, so maybe it's nicer. And they point out that it's like, yeah, you know, you wouldn't be king, but we would all get to live, and Luthadel wouldn't be pillaged. Which, you know, that's a fair point. Pillaging, bad. And Dachshund's like, well, hey, but what about, you know, maybe Straff? Uh, him and Ellen are family. He might give us a better deal. And Ellen's like, uh, yeah, that'll... He'd make a great deal and then break it and stab you in the back the moment it was convenient, so... That just seems not... like a very... I don't know, this this, this seemed a bit... Doxon, you know enough about the nobility to know better than that. <laughs> like, you know about Straff Venture at this point. Yeah, well, it may just be that he doesn't know much about sets, so he's like, well, maybe this would be better. Yeah, maybe. 
and Breeze is like, oh, also, Set hates me, so you might have to pretend that I've been executed or something? I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, but Ellen's big question is, how does Set treat the Ska in his lands? And Breeze is like, not, not well. And that's what Ellen does not want to give up, is the fact that they've got, you know, this society where people are equal and uh, the Ska aren't slaves anymore. And he's like, you know, I don't want to live at the cost of the entire Ska population of this dominance. That's not right. So Ellen has sort of his own ideas based loosely on these books that he's brought in about, like, shipping grain and things, about how they might work some stuff. He's like, hey, all these people, you know... Basically, no one but the Lord Ruler has ever had to deal with moving armies around the Final Empire. So he's like, maybe they're not really prepared for it. All, you know, the supply lines, all the other stuff that comes with having a giant army that you're running around the place. You know, 50,000 guys, they need to eat a lot of food. And uh, Breeze points out that Set has the one of the Lord Ruler's main canneries under his control. So he can ship all of this canned food down the canal relatively easily that's kind of advanced technology for the final empire final empire has always been a weird kind of mix in one of the very in the very first like prologue we had guys with like pocket watches and now we have a cannery but at the same time they're you know like sword guys and stuff i'd honestly forgotten the pocket watch yeah i think it's only mentioned like maybe one time maybe a couple times in the final empire that there is such a thing but ellen and they go back and forth a lot. I won't go through all the details because I've talked enough this episode. But he basically wants to pursue a plan where they're trying to turn the other two against each other as much as possible. And they're pretending to be allied with each of them at just the right time so that they can eventually maybe come out on top while doing subtle things like attacking supply lines and stuff like that to make it harder for these guys to stay. And everyone's pointing out all the problems with this plan. You know, like, we don't have enough food already. We're going to be under siege. There's going to be all all of these horrible things will be happening. But really, the crew's main idea, or main issue with his idea, because they're like, yeah, we talked about this kind of plan also while you were gone. But the big problem is that it relies on you, Ellen, to be, like, the center of the thing. You're going to have to be the one scamming these rulers when you meet with them and tricking them into... Uh, thinking that you're really on their side and whatnot. And they're not sure that he's ready for that, which is completely fair. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to have to put his big boy pants on and do (laughs) something he's never done before. Stand up to his father. (laughs) (laughs) He's always stood up to his father in like petulant and annoying ways, but (laughs) yeah, but now he's got to do it like a man. (laughs) Petulant and annoying does not a king make. No, probably not. <laughs> yeah, just look at Joffrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's... Oh, oh man. <laughs> oh. I was going to say, he was in power for quite a while. That was because he had, like, he had his, he had his uh, very smart granddad yeah. backing him up. Yeah, and his, uh, his conniving mum slash aunt. <laughs> Even the uncle who hated him did a lot to keep him in power. Ellen's not quite as bad as Joffrey, thankfully. But <laughs> yeah, like, you know, that's... That's that's a you know considerable bar to meet. Yeah, no, as it's, bad not, as, it's not that big. Of, as as right. bad as Joffrey. Wow. <laughs> none of the none of the inbred insanity in Elland. As far as we know. I mean, I would take Strathventure over Joffrey. 
Mm, yeah, that's of course we don't know Straff that well yet either. I mean, we know we've met him a couple times, but uh, by the end of this book, you may not feel the same way. We'll have to see. Uh, yeah, well, I, but I do like when they finally get it out there that Breeze basically comes out and says he's like, "Look, no offense, but you're new to this, and it's difficult to agree to a daring plan that puts a newcomer as the linchpin member of the team." And Ellen's like, "No, guys, come on, I can do it." And Clubs is the first one to be like, "Hey." If the kid wants to try, we'll let, let him try. He's king or something, right? We'll just <laughs> let him have his way. Did you guys hear his speech? <laughs> it was fantastic. And eventually everyone kind of comes around and uh, they're like, okay, if you really want to do this risky, dangerous plan, let's do the risky, dangerous plan. And as like as I read in Brandon's annotations, it's like a large part of the reason is that they are guys who like to gamble. They, this is the kind of plan that appeals to them, just like when Kelsier presented his crazy plan to overthrow the final empire. And so Doxon's like, okay, okay, let's um, give us some time to come up with some ideas, and we'll meet again in a few days, and we'll uh, go into more detail about what we need to do here. And that's when there's a knock at the door, and Captain Damu is there, and they have caught someone spying on their meeting. And it is our mystery terrorist woman from last time. So probably not the Chondra, or I mean the bones that we found earlier. Nope. Not going to lie, because I've uh, been playing a lot of Breath of the Wild lately. Um, for some reason, when they brought her in here, I just started picturing Obosa. Mm, yeah. The Terrace in general give me a, a very... Um, give me a vibe of that, like the same vibe as their people. Yeah. Sorry, now I'm just bringing up a picture to remind myself, because it's been a while since I uh, played that game. But I, I remember she's the Gerudo champion, right? That's the one. Yeah. I like her flashbacks in that game, actually. They're mm-hmm. they're pretty fun. Yeah. And so this lady was uh, trying to listen on the other side of a stone wall to try to hear their conversation. And Dame was like, I don't really think that she probably could have heard anything. And the terrorist woman's like, I would speak with the king alone. The rest of you are excused. Which, wow, that's some balls. Yeah, and she doesn't even have any. And neither <laughs> do any of her male friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You don't know who her friends are. Well, she obviously knows Sazed, although they may not be friends. Yeah. I don't know. She, well, she says she knows Sazed. I guess that depends on how much you trust her statements. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to leave you alone with the king. And she's like, no, you, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm sure that the young Mistborn hiding outside the window can deal with me if something gets out of hand. And that's what tips Vin, or not Vin, Ellen off to be like, hey, you're a keeper. That's the only way that you could have known something like that or been trying to hear overhear us on the other side of a stone wall. And she's like, yep, sure am. And she says, Saze did not send her, but it was because of him that she is here. And Saze did say that he sent help. So this jives with that, but it could be a misdirect also. Mm. And uh, she, she's like, hey, you guys can leave me bound if you want. While I talk to the king, it's fine. And Ellen's like, like that would do anything if you're really a ferrochemist. But whatever. Yeah, she, she'll hulk out. And they actually do it. They leave. Uh, Ellen tells them, go ahead. You guys can leave and I'll talk to her. And he says, we'll be waiting just outside, L, and then closes the door. And that's the end of the chapter, which I've always felt was kind of ominous. Mm. But yeah, so uh, we've met our mystery terrorist woman, although we still don't really know anything about her at this point, other than she says that she knows Sazed and that she's a uh, keeper. She's very... Uh full of purpose and like not in a pleasant way 
well, and she, I mean, even from the couple sentences that she speaks, you definitely get the impression that she's not as, uh, she's kind of like, fuck all y'all. I'm here to do a job. Yeah. She's got some confidence that says maybe lacks where, where he says, that's not a good idea. I think she's like, I would speak to the king alone. The rest of you are excused as she's been brought in as a prisoner with her arms tied. Yeah. So she's a gutsy lady at the very least, uh, whatever else she might be at this point. So, okay, final thoughts on these two chapters before we move into predicaments? Nope. <laughs> what predicaments, what predictions do you guys have? Let's, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, let's start with Dak. Dak, well, what do you got? Well, I got nothing for our mystery terrorist woman at this stage. My prediction that I've got at this stage involves the Inquisitors. Just from everything they've got going on, the, you know, their stronghold is abandoned. Marsh doesn't have the information he w- he went looking for. I suspect the Inquisitors as a whole are on the move. I think some of them are probably going to attack Luthadel because I suspect that they're going to be a conflict killer. They're going to show up and all of a sudden the other army is just like, ah, oh, fuck, we didn't count on this because the Inquisitors, I think, are going to want to take things back mm. after they got appointed. And... <sighs> There was something on the when Says was reading the word wall that Quan wrote. There was something about he said brethren, which is what Marsh has been referring to the other Inquisitors as the whole time. So it started to make me think maybe Quan, maybe the Inquisitors first came about to deal with the Hero of Ages, and then when it turned out Rashek took out Alendi, the Inquisitors came under his service because they were all united against Alendi and whatever he was doing. So I, sus- I suspect that could be the origin of the Inquisitors. I don't know quite the how or the why of it yet, but you know they had this text uh, from Quan, so they must have known more information than most knew about Alendi and Rashek and and what happened. So I suspect, yeah, the, some of the Inquisitors are um, out to get Luthadel and take back the power base of the of the Empire, and I think we're going to see the rest showing up at the well trying to claim that. And yeah, I, yeah. Just for, and from what Rashek was saying when he died, and the fact that Vin was uh, brooding on it, I suspect that they know whatever it was Rashek was doing to try and keep the world at bay, so that is their end goal at the moment. They're trying to save the world in the same way Rashek was doing it, so they're mm. heading to, I think they're heading to the Well of Ascension to try and um, make a move on that. Interesting. So, Yeah, I feel like we're going to learn a lot more about the Inquisitors this book. So maybe they could be on our side as far as we don't want the world to end either, but not on our side as far as we didn't like Rashek and how he handled things. Yeah. That could be very interesting, yeah. Okay, I like that one. Mm. Uh, Jamie, what do you got? So I was on a very similar train of thought, I think, to Dak. They're they're the Inquisitors having Quan's text. It, it, It must be fairly important to them. Whether Marsh knows the significance yet or just doesn't want to talk about it, who knows? He's he's a bit weird at the moment, so we'll just let him be in his mood. I was thinking, yeah, about the, you know, Quan and Rushek would have known each other. They would have had this relationship. If Alendi, you know, wasn't the hero of ages and Rushek sort of stepped in, that made me think that they were maybe alliances, uh, uh, allies. And what did Rushek do to his biggest supporters? He gave them Alamancy. I was thinking that maybe Quan was the first Inquisitor uh, and maybe it was because mm. Rushek was trying to give him powers. So maybe Quan, yeah, like 
has that significance to the Inquisitors as well. So I think that's kind of a train of thought that I like at the moment. And, yeah, the, the Inquisitors, I think they're increasing their numbers and they've got a job to do. They know, yeah, I actually don't think they're going to head towards Luthadel. I think they're going to go to the Well of Ascension or, like, they've, they've got this backup plan, I think, for doing whatever Rushek said he was doing to, to protect them. I think they've they're they're on a mission. They've got something going on. So yes, that's that's my my thought about them. And I think a couple of episodes ago, uh, ago I was talking about the 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 mist monster ghost thing. I I still really like the idea that there's some kind of like alimantic spirit or something. I I do think that this one is trying to communicate with Vin. I don't necessarily think they were it was trying to kill her or anything, but I mean, we know that they can physically interact with people as well, and she's she's got the skills to to hear it and, and see it. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely some more significance. I don't I, I know they've talked about it being, you know, the closest thing they can think of is a mist wraith, but we don't think it's that. I think it's it would be a bit weird to have another instance of a mist wraith. Um, Since we already have evolution. two. Yeah. Yeah, I just I I don't think it's gonna fall into that. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but I think yeah, I, I like the idea of it being a spirit or, or something that we've we've come across before trying to communicate. So I look forward to seeing where that's going. I've got no clue about the terrorist woman yet. I think it's a little bit early to tell, but she's definitely got some guts, that's for sure. <laughs> One thing that you said that I kind of latched onto because it seemed really interesting to me is. The possibility of Quan being like this first Inquisitor, and if it was, then we know that they that the Inquisitors somehow get the power to burn Adium, right? Because we've seen them do it. Mm. Which would mean if Quan was also a Feru chemist, then he could have done the same thing the Lord Ruler did to like live forever, basically, by using Adium to store age and then yeah. burning it or whatever. So I had was, thought about that that maybe one of the Inquisitors is Quan. Maybe mm. he's still around. Still around. Um, okay, I thought that would be a really, really cool concept Ooh. as well. Yeah. We might not have seen him. Maybe he's somewhere. Maybe he's still maybe he's still there in the uh, conventicle. Maybe Marsh did find Quan and he's sitting up there and says, don't follow me. Quan's down there helping, you know, get the last Inquisitors out. Maybe, maybe he's still there. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that possibility that Says didn't we, – we were in Says' perspective, and he didn't see what Marsh did. We only have Marsh's mm. word that there was nothing there. True. Yeah, and there's there's something more going on. I don't really trust Marsh at all at the moment. Not, mm. that I, not that I necessarily think he's out to hurt Says or do something terrible. I just – he's not giving us anything to go off. Mm. Um, and he's acting all weird, and, yeah, I just – I'm not sure that – I trust him. I like. I'm not entirely certain that that's still not something sinister there waiting for them. But I I don't think they were alone. I I do think there was someone else there. Okay. It, it yeah. I mean, it would be very easy for something else to have been there. Even if Marsh was telling 100% the truth, there still could have been something there watching them that neither of them knew about. So. Absolutely. Creepy, creepy place. Which is. Mm-hmm. When you look at the map, it's, like, pretty far from anything also. So it's, like, they travel a long way out there. To... <laughs> it's out there. Are all Terrasmen ferrochemists that we know of? Or is it only a uh, No, here? definitely. Oh, I, 
now, definitely not. But even back in that time, we don't know for a fact that they're all Faru chemists. We know that at least several of the Pac-Men on the trip that Elendi took were Faru chemists, which gives the impression that if, you know, they're doing like these manual labor jobs, that it's not that uncommon. But I don't think we've ever been told that they're all Faru chemists. Okay. And it would have been hard to breed it out of the race like the Lord Ruler was trying to do if they were all ferrochemists. So that's why I kind of assume that they're not. Yeah. Okay, Joe, what, what predictions you got for us? Yeah, so um, you guys had some really cool stuff you talked about. I don't know how... I I think I'm just going to stick with the idea that both of you mentioned that the Inquisitors, if they if they left the conventicle, they're probably headed towards the north through Terrace to get to the Well of Ascension. And even if they're not strictly going to the Well um, directly, I almost wonder if the other plan I talked about, like maybe they're trying to make a new Lord Ruler, but they need a Ferrochemist to do that. So they're headed to Terrace to find Ferrochemists. I'm wondering if that could be a possibility so um that's kind of where i'm at with the terrace men with vin and the the ghost wraith mist thing i liked uh some of the directions you guys were talking about and i'm almost wondering um i've been toying with the idea that maybe somehow it's actually a lendy um reaching through the mists like maybe something happened to him a thousand years ago that made him a part of the mists themselves and allomancy because i get the impression based off some of the writings from the past that elendi may have been the only one with allomantic powers and so if something mm, happened like to what? him just some of the writings like Quan talks about him being the savior him having these powers and you know the power to save the world and all that kind of stuff mm. it made me th- it made me think that like there's a reason they've singled this guy out, it's because he can do something beyond what any of the other people, the ferrochemists, any of them can do. So my thought was maybe when whatever happened at the Well of Ascension happened all those years ago, somehow his destruction or him something happening to him caused Alamancy to spread across, or Rashek was able to grab the power that Elendi had and give it to certain people. Hmm but that Elendi became part of the, like the mists. And until Rashek was defeated, he couldn't, he couldn't like make himself corporeal in any way. And he's still struggling to do that. And he's reaching out to Vin specifically because he knows that she killed Rashek. So that's kind of what I'm toying with right now. I don't know how much, (laughs) how much facts there are to back that up within the book. But um, that's just something that I thought would be a really cool idea. Kind of get you get like a Force Ghost perspective, or going along with Force Ghost perspective, maybe it's Kelsier reaching back through the mists. Like when he dies, he becomes part of the mists. Like all Mistborn or people with Alamantic powers that are Mistborn mm. become part of the mists or something, and then they can, if they are strong enough, they can reach back through. I don't know. Just something. I, I was I, I've been toying with the idea of. Being able to come back in some way through the mists, because obviously there's a lot more to the mists that we're finding out in this book than we first thought. So they are yeah. obviously granting, they're granting, um, certainly granting Vin extra powers at the end of the first book than we thought possible. 
and I almost wonder if she's being like boosted by specific entities within the mist, like Kelsier or Elendi or whoever. Hmm. So that's just something I've been toying with. So that's a, a pretty large overall prediction for where the story's heading. So I may be way off, but I just thought that was a cool idea. And then um, as far as the the parlay, if the first book is any indication, my guess is that uh, this stuff with Ellen and the two warlords is going to go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> because I feel like if, if, if we're going to see similar tropes as we did in the first book, it's like they have this plan kind of ironed out and it's not going to work the way they want it to at all. So I'm guessing that the two warlords are going to figure out what they're, what Ellen is doing. And, um, and it's not going to be pretty for our friends. They're going to, they're going to go through some rough stuff. And if my, if my earlier prediction about Orser actually being a different Chandra that may be controlled by one of the warlords is true, then it's possible that he'll be end up being like the informant that kind of gives them up or something. So we'll see. Yeah, that would probably be a bad place. Although on the plus side, Vin missed possibly almost all that meeting. So if if her dog was a bad dog, yeah. then he wouldn't have heard the, the plan. Yeah, I guess that's true, but I'm sure Ellen's going to tell her what's going on, or she's going to figure it out. So mm, that's true. Yeah. yeah, no reason for him to keep that a secret from uh, from Vin. These are the things that she will need to know to help protect him. I'm sure. Interesting. I like I like the idea that there's these things like people like Mistborn turning into the mist somehow and like being able to reach back and help in some way. Yeah. Well, and you know they again we've never completely unraveled the mystery of why they're called Mistborn. So if if we're to take that in the more literal sense of the phrase, it's like from the mists they are born to the mists they return, you know, I don't know. That's true. We never we had theories about why they're called Mistborn and people saying that like Alamancers first appeared with the mists or whatever. But we don't really know. And that honestly, that's the kind of thing that we may never know, because it for all we know, that could have been before even Lendi's time when this word came about. So. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we don't know for a fact that Lindy was the only Mistborn. That's just kind of what I'm surmising based on the information that I've read so far. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I like I like some of these predictions. I dislike some of these. No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but moving on to emails, we have three emails this week. Uh, Retro Rocket emailed again. Some of his stuff we've already covered, and some of it is just like uh, pointing out calling us out on random things like you uh like us calling him out for saying he was watching the podcast when it's a listening uh thing and he (laughs) he he has to defend himself on that one but uh, i'm just going to touch on a couple of things that he sent one of them is he says it's kind of a general observation now that you aren't numbering the episodes with the wall of ascension it's kind of hard to refer to a specific episode and that's true i did stop for all of the final empire when it's posted on the website they're episode one episode two episode three all the way up to episode 18 which was the last one of the final empire i realized that as we progressed like episode one of well of ascension would have been episode 19 over or 20 overall and i was like i don't know i feel like it might be confusing to say episode 20 and then be like chapters one two and three and four of the well of ascension it it seemed like counterintuitive and also then the numbers would no longer match the symbols i was using so i was like okay now that doesn't fit let's i could just start over and call 
like Mistborn Wolf Ascension episode one, but then where there's two episode ones, and as we progress and do other things, that might be confusing also. So I decided, okay, I think the simplest way is to get rid of the episode numbering thing entirely and just be like, number with the chapters by saying Well of Ascension chapters one, two, three, and four. And that's how you find an episode is what chapters you're wanting to look at. And I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but that was the best way that I came up with to make it not confusing for people. And I realized based on his comment that it's still on some level. If someone wants to refer to an episode, he's like, I wanted to say something about what happened in episode two of the Well of Ascension, but I didn't know really what to call it. So I get it. And if someone has a suggestion, I'm willing to listen to a better way to organize them on there or to label them. But that's just what I came up with. He also says that it makes him sad that since we're maximizing Cosmere awareness, it probably means that Stormlight, his favorite series, is going to be uh, pretty far off. And I will say, in the general reading order that I have at the moment, that is one of the very last Cosmere things that we touch on. There's like one thing after the uh, uh, Stormlight books. So yes, that's pretty far off. Dang. So that's his uh, email. Of course, we talked about how if uh, long-term... The plan was for Cosmere first and then non-Cosmere stuff. So there's still a lot of stuff after that. It's just not Cosmere-related stuff. Uh, okay. But that's uh, those are the things in Retro Rockets email that I want to touch on. The next one comes from Nicholas. And he says, hey, I'm Nick from Utah. Though that shouldn't be surprising because if I remember correctly, that's a large part of your demographic. Interestingly, actually, talking about our demographic randomly, I'm sure everyone is super interested to hear all about that. Uh, Let's hear about the statistics, Data. I'd like to know. <laughs> For the month of September, <laughs> let's see, Virginia is actually where most of the listeners have come from. And then Ohio, Colorado, North Carolina, and Texas. So mm. Utah's pretty far down on the list for September, at least. Yeah, Virginia, that's fascinating. Yeah, lots of people in Virginia. And then uh, in Canada, Ontario is by far the most popular. And in Australia, it's New South Wales. That makes sense. <laughs> do we know yeah, anybody? Uh, do we have friends in Ontario? <laughs> Um, that's, that's Canada? where, that's, no, wait, wait, is Ontario is where the, is, or is, it, is Quebec where Toronto is? I don't remember. No, Toronto's, Toronto's on, is Ontario, I think. Okay. Yeah. We, know a so we got friends, yeah, we got area. friends in Toronto. There's three downloads from Australian Capital Territory in September, and I was like, that may be just Jack and Jamie re-listening that's, to episodes. I'm that's, pretty sure that's, that's us. Probably, <laughs> that's probably us. <laughs> so. Random statistics for uh, for the month of September so far. But anyway, he, he says, I just got to say, I love the podcast, but I do have to mention, I don't understand all the hate against Spook. He's one of my favorite characters <laughs> in the series, and he was even before he started talking normal. <sighs> he, he, he I goes guess on you're to entitled ex- to your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I feel like that in order to be fun and amusing, we've taken – a mild dislike of Spook and turned it into like an outright hatred because it's sure, more fun yeah. for the show that way. I don't think anyone oh, yeah. necessarily hates Spook that much. I'm conflating it, I but I, I I don't like him. But I, <laughs> I am conflating it a bit. But I mean, like I said in a previous episode, dying gurgling on his own blood without ever feeling the touch of a woman. <laughs> I think that's a fitting end for him. No, it's he's fine. He's fine. It's just... You know, I think what it is, is if I knew a guy like Spook in real life, I would be extremely irritated by him. So that's why he's irritating to me <laughs> in the book. Yeah, I buy that. 
if, if you knew a guy who was constantly talking in a way that you couldn't and no one around you, as far as you know, could really understand, it would probably be annoying in real life, which is, is kind of where Breeze is coming from, where he's just like, I are you, are you still an unintelligible nuisance or whatever he he says? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, his character is really not that bad. I think honestly, I think being a Ten Eye is kind of cool. Like, if I had to pick one of the Alimantic powers, I think that's probably high up on my list because I think it's actually pretty cool. It's just it's in a package that I'm not particularly fond of. <laughs> Nick explains a little bit of the background of uh, the the way that he talks as kind of to kind of excuse and explain why he does that. I'm not going to actually read that, Nick, because that is something that comes out in these books a little bit later. So it'd be kind of spoilery to go into right now. But uh, there are reasons and explanations. Uh, one more interesting thing to note, he says, is that Skadriel, the planet, has no moon. I'm pretty sure the mists are white like the average fog, but with zero moonlight, the nights on Skadriel would be really dark, and the mists just as so, which would also probably make Tin even more useful than it already is. Anyway, that's all the interesting stuff I have to bring up. Again, I really love the show, and who knows, uh, maybe someday in the future you might even catch up to the currently released books. Yeah, that's a long way off, but, uh, you know, who knows what might happen. We got time. But it's true that Skadriel has no moon. I, I didn't mention that before. But I don't think it ever actually comes up in the books, especially if they have no moon. They wouldn't know what to reference to say they did not have one because they would never have known what that is. But uh, in, in if you know more about the Cosmere as a whole, then that is a note that Skadriel does not have a moon. Whereas some of the worlds in other books have several moons. So uh, one last email from Sam. And Sam says, I always wondered why Vin didn't use a bit of aluminum when testing new metals. Like, ah, this one's making me sick. Take take a bit of aluminum, and it burns your reserve so that there's no metal left to make you sick. Or you think aluminum only burns away all the good metals? I just kind of assumed it burns away all the alimantic ones. And if it's, mm-hmm. like, a non-burnable one, then it probably would just stay there. Yeah, that's true. I think we touched on that a little bit when we first found out about it, because you're like, you don't want to burn, like, all of the iron out of your body, because your blood kind of needs that or whatever. So... Yeah, I yeah, guess I always assume the same I, thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a stomach thing and not a not a uh, blood thing, though. You know, because I mean mm-hmm. they're eating these metals, so we um, I think we're to understand that it's sitting in their stomach yep. and possibly their colon's not there, <laughs> not necessarily like straight into their bloodstream. Although that would feed into their bloodstream. So how that the science of that works out, I don't know. That's that's actually a deeper uh, hole than we'll ever get into in the books, but uh, I'll oh, I'll, so you're I'll, saying there's potential for me to make up whatever bullshit I want about it, and <laughs> I'd be right. Well, I'll just say that magic in the Cosmere works. A lot of times things work because that's how you think or expect them to work, and not because that's actually the only way they can work. Mm. So so it's uh, not like a Dresden hard science. It's more like a, well, it's it like is, a user-friendly magic. It is, but it isn't because it's like there's what's possible and there's what works because you think that's the only way it will work. So, and I think that actually does apply to Dresden also because what you like believe is very much tied into what you can accomplish in the Dres- with Dresden Files mm-hmm. magic. That's and true. If, yeah. If you think that this spell will only work if you do it this way, then that's the only way it will work for you because that's how you right. think about it. That's how each. That's why each of the wizards have their own like instrument 
arguments and tools because it's yeah. like, well, that that would that's the way it makes sense to me, so that's the way it works. But yeah, I think uh, I've always assumed it was just allomantic metals, which while she can burn these other metals, they're not r- true allomantic. Uh, well, and I guess it's real. They're really uh, what we're talking about with those is we're talking about the alloys, which are part actual allomantic metal and then part not, which is why they don't kill you, like just straight up burning a metal that's no good. Right. Yeah. So maybe that would be extremely dangerous because if it got somehow got rid of the, I mean, I know it's an alloy, but if it somehow got rid of the alimantic part of the metal and then you were just burning that other metal, you would die. I would, su- I would assume. Yeah. Unless the other part of the metal is actually a different element. Cause I know like pewter is like part copper or something uh, we talked about, or was it copper or yeah. tin? It's one of the, you know, so if one you of burned those. off one of them and the other one was left, you might just have an actual alimantic metal. I don't know. Uh, alloys are weird because they're not really any longer like two different metals. They're a new metal that you created by mixing. Right, molecular. Yeah. Molecular uh, compounds change. I don't know if that would if that could ever actually work if you could burn away part of it. But uh, anyway, that's an interesting question, Sam. I've always assumed that it worked one way, but who really knows? I guess. And I don't know if burning the whole metal makes her any sicker than burning like just part of it because she only tries a little bit at a time. And she said it makes her sick for like two days just trying that little bit. So I don't know. It, it might be that however much of it she burned, she would still be down for two days. Uh, okay, those were our emails. If anyone else would like to email us, we're happy to hear feedback and criticisms and praise and any kind of thing you want to send. We had hate mail one time, I remember. So you can send that to the Sander Lanch with an E at the end at gmail.com. No, you don't type out the Sander Lanch with an E at the end. There's just an E at the end of the word, like the word avalanche. Uh, just want to clarify that. No one was dumb enough to think that, but uh, it occurred to me as I was saying it. You can also <laughs> tweet at us at the Sander Lanch or find us on Facebook or on Instagram. I mentioned some Instagram comment earlier in this episode about Joe and his love of thick books. So find us there. <laughs> sure. Say things. Uh, music by Miracle of Sound. Throw that out there while I'm thinking about it. And for next week, uh, I, I mentioned that this was the only two-chapter thing for a while. For next week, we are doing three chapters. That will be 14, 15, and 16. So if anyone's following along, 14, 15, 16, read them. Come back. We'll talk about them next time. And I think that's everything we need to touch on. I, I've been I've been meaning to try to come up with some sort of like, like sign, sign off, off. <laughs> something to to use every time. So yeah. that my, the, my sign off isn't extremely awkward like it always is. Like right. I think that's everything. Bye. <laughs> so. I uh, I've been watching too much Rick and Morty, so the only thing in my head is wubba lubba dub dub. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> but I don't. No, yeah, that's not a good one. Honestly, for our show, we probably need like a bender quote or something. Yeah, totally or uh, you know, let's just go straight up. Let's lean into what we hate. It's like uh, wasing with the goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that actually. Good, gooding with the bye. Yeah. You gotta put wasing in there. Wasing is yeah. what like is what sells it as like right. oh he didn't just say something weird. This is a spook talk. Right. Wasing to the next time. Oh, yeah. Wasing to the time of next. Yeah, wasing to the time of next, everybody. After we leave the, like, the Mistborn books, that might not make any sense anymore, but I, I, I'm totally, I, I think that might be the, the way to go. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Wasing to the time of next, everybody. 
and then <laughs> so cut to the music. And we try, try, try to keep a little beauty in the world. Never let it fade.